0: let's pray father again we are grateful for your written word and we are grateful for your holy spirit to guide us into all truth and we are grateful that you work all things after the counsel of your own will that history is on your schedule that you are the one the only one who can bring all of these things to pass exactly as you desire you limit sin, you even work through sin to accomplish your purposes. And so Father, help us this morning as we see you, as we, as we gaze upon you, as we see the things that you are creating for the time when you have eradicated sin forever, when we get to our true heavenly home where our citizenship is now. In Christ's name, amen. When people think of heaven, when you think of heaven now, uh, we, we refer to uh, those who die in the faith go to heaven. What is heaven? I'm sorry? The presence of the Lord. The no more sin in chapters 21 and 22 we get to get a glimpse a small glimpse of what heaven looks like now The descriptions that we have in chapters 21 and 22 are mostly about the New Jerusalem. Now, we talked about that a little bit last week. What is the New Jerusalem, and how do we relate to the New Jerusalem? I'm getting some quizzical looks, so good. I think we'll probably it'll probably serve us well to recover some of that ground from last week. <laughs> All right. The handouts that are back there are from last week, where this is going to be part two, and frankly, I think it sounds like it's going to be a uh, a rehash of part one. <laughs> so let's start. remember that, starting at chapter 19 through the end of the book is a vision that John has. The last after these things that occurs in the book is in chapter 19. And so everything that's happening past that is basically one continuous vision. And so he sees the events of chapter 19, which is um, The return of Christ, that is the second coming. That's the battle of Armageddon. And um, chapter 20 then begins with the millennial kingdom and the aftermath of the millennial kingdom. And at the end of chapter 20, we see that heaven and earth have fled away. And so when it comes time for the great white throne of judgment, beginning in verse 11 we see that heaven and earth have basically been uncreated. God spoke that into existence with his word, and they have, bes- they have fled away. It's that word um, that was used to describe how death fled, flees away from those who have been stung by the locust. back in the, uh, I believe that was the fifth trumpet, uh, fifth trumpet judgment. Um, they long for death, but death flees from them, and so it's the idea of heaven and earth. Again, we looked at this last week. Heaven and earth have passed away. Um, that word is used almost 120 times in the New Testament, and typically, and, and what it is typically translated as is, it departed, they left. It's a term that's used of Jesus, and it's often something that is temporary. When Jesus left to go up onto the mountain to pray was that a permanent thing for him no he went up on the mountain to pray now we will see though in chapter 21 when you look down in verse 4 there's no longer any death excuse me there's no longer any mourning there's no longer crying there's no pain the first things have passed away now in that use of the term is that a temporary or is that a permanent state that is permanent those are gone and they are gone forever for us for the redeemed those are gone forever now why the distinction a fire still there. there's still a fire burning and there's a number of people who dwell there and for them there are things that have passed away as well it's not spoken of directly in scripture but how does Jesus refer to this place when he talks about you know they're going to be in the outer darkness where there is yeah exactly wailing weeping gnashing of teeth and so here again, you have opposite ends of a spectrum, and there is no middle. You've got one side, you've got the other, and there is nothing in between. So, he's making all things new. If you go to 1 Peter 2.13, that's where you'll find that the first heaven and the first earth have been destroyed by fire. The idea of a new heaven and a new earth is not a New Testament construct. If you go to Isaiah 65, 17 and Isaiah 66, 22, you will see references to God making a new heaven and a new earth. And Isaiah lived when? So Isaiah is living during the time of Assyria coming and conquering the Northern Kingdom. And that occurred in what year? Earlier than that. The Northern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom is conquered in 722 B.C. The 605 and the 597 and the 586 is the Southern kingdom and that's by Babylon, right? You know, I know that a lot of this stuff is history, <clears throat> ancient ancient history for us. It will help you if you can fix some of these things in your mind so that as you are looking at some of these other of these other prophecies, number 1, It ties into the fact that because God is eternal and his word is eternal, it doesn't matter if those words were spoken last week or 3,000 years ago. It doesn't matter. And when you look at the Bible and how it interrelates, how all of these things fit together, then it will drive you to a greater appreciation for God and his revelation and it will help you to put your confidence in what he says these things come when God says this is going to come to pass it's going to happen and it will happen on his schedule and so the more that you become familiar with these things it will help you to navigate through And sometimes when you're looking um, through these, okay, well, wait a minute, Isaiah's alive at this time, and he's saying this, and Jeremiah's alive at this time, Ezekiel is alive at this time, how do these things fit together? And so that, that will help you. And so in the beginning part of chapter 21, you've got the first heaven, the first earth have passed away, there's no longer any sea. We talked about this a little bit last week the idea about there's no sea, that would be a very significant change for this planet. 70% of the, earth, the surface of the earth is covered with water. And some of those waters are pretty big. Have you ever flown across the Atlantic? It takes a while, right? And that's nothing compared to going across the Pacific. Those things are, 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 are large. And so the fact that you don't have the sea anymore is a pretty significant change to the planet itself. The big difference is that whereas in the past, God has tabernacled with men, right? Where has God tabernacled with men there's the temple in Jerusalem go back a little bit you had the tabernacle where you know where the word actually comes from the tabernacle was a what it was a tent so God is literally tenting with his people then now there was evidence that God was present with them and what was that evidence You had the fire by night, you had the cloud by day. You had the Shekinah glory that filled uh, not only the, you you had the Shekinah filling the temple. Now, filling the temple specifically where? In the Holy of Holies. And so here you have the Holy of Holies, and even then inside the Holy of Holies, you had a piece of furniture, a very specific piece of furniture, and that was called the? the ark of the covenant and the ark of the covenant has got two cherubim and their wings extend in toward each other and what was that referred to there that was on the top of the ark between the wings of the cherubim that's the mercy seat and that was the presence of God with his people now who could see God Okay, Sam is asking if that's a trick question. All right. And in one way, yeah, it is. But in another way, it's not. No man can see God and live, right? God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and covered him and allowed Moses to see his backside. And what was the consequence for Moses? He comes out. And people cannot even look at him because his face is radiant, physically radiant. But there's one person who has access to the Holy of Holies, right? The high priest, one day a year, not without blood, right? He has to, be, he has to have his sins atoned for before he can set foot in there. That's, uh, tradition has it that they would tie a rope around his ankle when he went in so they could drag him out if they needed to because nobody else could go in to get him so the idea here god is tenting with his people that's verse 3 behold the tabernacle of god is among men and he <coughs> excuse me he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and god himself will be among them now you will find there is a reference Uh, that does not refer specifically to this, but it is appropriate in the Song of Songs 6.3, where it talks about, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That's the idea. And so God is literally dwelling among them and that has consequences for this place, which we'll get into here shortly. Verse 5, he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And John, write, for these words are faithful and true. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Now, God has often talked about Israel in the Old Testament. I will be the, their God and they shall be what? My people. my people. Notice that this isn't in the plural. This is in the Singular. God will be your God. You will be his son, his daughter. And by the way, why does it use son, the masculine? Is that a slam on you ladies? Okay, so it's universal. Look, in the Old Testament, who had the uh, the the better side of it? Men or women? Men did. There's no second class in heaven. the the benefic- the, the benefits of those who inherit exactly the same. And so you may be a woman, but what do you, you may be a daughter, but what do you possess? You possess the exact same inheritance as a son, no distinction. But again, God is your God. You are his child. And all those others, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, they're not here. Their residence is in the lake of fire. And so again, you have two places. You've got those of us who are redeemed. We reside in the new Jerusalem. If you were to write out your address... It may have a particular street number, but the city is the new Jerusalem. So when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, in my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. Sorry, see, if I say mansions, what do you know? I grew up with the King James, <laughs> right? And so in my Father's house are many dwelling places. And Jesus is going to prepare that place for us. And this is that place. And so the New Jerusalem is, is in one way, it's, it's the huge housing block of heaven. And then verse 9, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now it's interesting... Because he says, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And going to verse 10, and he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So the city is the wife of the Lamb? That was not a rhetorical question okay it's who's in it it's the redeemed that occupy the city now he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain now he needs to go to a great and high mountain he needs to because otherwise he'll never be able to have a good perspective of this place that's coming down out of heaven from God because this place is massive it is utterly massive this place having the glory of God her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper it had a great and high wall with twelve gates and at the twelve gates twelve angels and names were written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so this idea here of crystal clear jasper, The building materials of this city are selected for their translucence. Okay? Now, what does translucent mean? It's transparent. You can see through it. Now, being able to see through it is our perspective. Heaven, the New Jerusalem, is a huge lamp. Because it's not about us being able to see through it. It is about the glory of God that is inside of it that comes out. That's the picture, Gunnar. Correct. Because literally trans through lucent light, Right. So the idea here, the idea is that God inside this city not just illuminates the city, he illuminates everything around it. And so when we read these materials, be thinking of, have that picture in your mind. Because as you read, we see a lot of this to where it's it's, it's like clear glass. Catherine, Kathleen. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. Now we're going to get into this even more here in a minute. The idea here is, again, when they're talking about these materials, we're talking about something that is utterly beautiful. These aren't just buildings. These aren't just walls. Uh, I can remember. I think we had these lamps when we were first married. I had them before we got married. They, uh, and in fact, I know that some of you, some of you did too, because I've seen these in other places. And it was a, uh, the you had the bulbs up here on the top, but down in the body of the lamp, there was some, there were some uh, sockets there to have other bulbs and i thought i was being quite stylish which was quite an accomplishment for me as a bachelor by the way i put colored bulbs (laughs) inside my lamp and so when you came in and, and i had both of those things turned on i mean there was white up here but there was red and there was green and there was blue and i thought that looked pretty stylish now take that and multiply it by a few gazillion. <laughs> <laughs> this place is incredibly colorful. It is incredibly pure. Because again, the idea of being able to have light passing through something. Is a demonstration of what about that material? Pure. It's pure. There's no opaqueness to it. And so that's the idea here. As so keep that thought in your mind that you can you can bypass the lamp and, and go to that. Hey Jeff. Sir. No polarizing glasses will be necessary. <laughs> to okay. See. Sam is making the comment, you don't need any polarized glasses there. Our whole lives, our entire lives, we have rec- we have been, it's been necessary for us to be shielded from him there no more we will be like him because we will what we will see him as he is Gunner So the comment is, you know, think of an abalone. You've got the colors of the rainbow in there. We're going to get to that here when it starts actually talking about the building materials themselves. That same concept. Um, So here you have now. So here when they talk about the city, it's coming down out of heaven from God. Is this a temporary type of place? How would you know if it's temporary or mobile? It's got a foundation, spoken by a contractor. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. There's a foundation, there's walls, there's gates. Now, when you talk about a foundation and walls and gates, why were those necessary in a city in the first century? That's protection. That's security. In fact, in the old Jerusalem, you had gates on the city and what would happen at night? You closed the gates so that you're not in danger. You're secured. There was a watchman on the walls. You had gates that were closed to provide you security. And so here you have a city that has gates and walls and these foundation stones. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And what is unique about these foundation stones? There's something written. That's right. So the foundation of the walls, those stones bear the names of the 12 apostles. And the gates, three on each side, so things are symmetrical, those gates also bear something. What do they bear? They bear the names of the tribes of Israel. So, there is a distinction. You have the names of the tribes. You have the names of the apostles. Does that mean that there is a division of the population inside the city? Okay, so Susie is saying, wait a minute, they're all one. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, right? There's no distinction between male and female. So again, it's recognizing. How God has worked in time. And at the end of the day, what he accomplishes is a group of people that are the redeemed. Now, hold. Sorry, this might be a weird question. Instead of the 12 names of the, the apostles, mm-hmm. so that's the disciples? Okay, so the question. <laughs> All right, the question is, and it's a legitimate question, okay, it's got 12 apostles. Which 12? Are we talking about the 12? Well, there's a problem now, isn't there? Because one of the 12 was a traitor. And I don't think that Judas gets a foundation stone in heaven because Judas isn't there, right? Right? What did Jesus say about the one who would betray him? Better that he wasn't even born. So who's the 12th? I don't know. Oh, see, so you have Matthias and you have Paul are the two that are most commonly suggested. Paul because he was the one who was born out of time. Matthias because he was the one who was selected by the remaining 11 after the demise of Judas Iscariot. And so which 12? I don't know. It's like, the 12 throne, it's like the 24 thrones. Who's on the 24 thrones? Ah, beats me. You know, God knows, but that's not given for us because that part isn't important. We don't need to know those, those names at this point. Can you imagine what life would be like if those names were provided at the time of the writing of this book? Can you imagine being born? Hey, wait a minute. That throne has my name on it. So, now let's take that and flip it for a minute. How ought you to live? You ought to live as if your name is on one of them, okay? You should live that way. And quite, quite frankly, for each one of us, we ought not be living that way just because our name might be written there. We ought to be living that way because the one who redeemed us is worthy of it, right? Yeah. The, the point, you know, we have his name on our forehead. Keep in mind that there's 12 foundation stones. We're going to need that in a minute. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Isn't it interesting how John was commanded to measure the city earlier as he saw it? But those measurements aren't recorded. Ezekiel when he was measuring out the temple, he had a rod so that he would be able to measure the rod, that measure the, the, the city. Notice that the tape measure in heaven is made out of gold. So he measures it. The city's laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. Okay. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Now, in the original... That is listed out as 12,000 stadia. Now, I know that stadia is on the tip of your tongue. I know that you contractors use stadia when you're going through to to do your measurements. When you're laying out a, a pad to pour for concrete, it's, okay, I know how many stadia this is. Keep in mind, eight stadia made up a Roman mile. So take 12,000 and divide it by eight, and you get 1,500. Now, in your Bibles, you may see a range of distances there. And that would be because a Roman mile may not have been the exact same distance as one of our miles. It's like a nautical mile versus a land mile, right? They're not exactly the same. So you may see anything from 1,400 miles to 1,500 miles. It's as wide as it is long. And it's, that's not all. So keep, hold on to that for just a second. We're, we're going to come back to that. 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. So 1,500 miles that way, I'm going to stand at a corner. 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles that way, and 1,500 miles that way. Now, there's discussion that, well, is he talking about a cube or is he talking about a pyramid? Okay. Personally, I lean toward the cube. When you talk about pyramids, where was the first pyramid recorded in the Bible? Okay, I'm hearing Babylon. Babylon or Babel. Babel. Right. So the, the the original pyramid was a ziggurat. And the idea, what was the purpose of the ziggurat? We're going to build this building. We're going to build it up to heaven and basically we're taking over. We're invading with a building project. So personally I think it's a cube. I wouldn't hold on to that tightly. But just think about this for a minute. Now, I have have had disastrous attempts here in this class in the past with trying to do math. (laughs) But I've worked on this one, and I know it's right. Okay? If you put a person every half a mile, every half mile, so that's 3,000 this way, 3,000 that way and 3,000 that way. There's room for 27 billion people. That is with a B in this city. And your nearest neighbor is a half mile away. This place is huge. How huge, you ask? I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) So if you start on the West Coast and you start going east... You take a line running north-south through Houston, Texas, from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to the Canadian border, and you draw that into a square, which means you're going to get part of northern Mexico. That's the footprint for this building. It covers the entire western half and then some. Of the continental United States. And that's just this slice. Now go 1,500 miles up. Now, that is also something that's kind of fascinating when you think about it. Because how far does the atmosphere of this planet go? How far up is the atmosphere? Generally speaking, I I actually did some research on this, too. 100 miles, first of all, once you get above 120,000 feet, you're basically up into the the beginnings of space. So 100 miles is generally accepted. Anything beyond that, you're in orbit. 100 miles. Now keep going for a while. Because that's how big this place is. So you can see that things are a little different in the new heaven and the new earth than the one that we have here. This place is massive. He measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. That's good to know that... uh, We're not gonna have a metric system versus a standard system problem. There's a question as to whether or not that's talking about the height of the wall or the thickness of the wall. In either case, okay, so by the way, when they talk about, I think it was Nineveh, where you could drive two chariots side by side on top of its wall, that's how thick it was. Why would you want to have thick walls in those days? Man, it doesn't matter how many orcs you put coming up and trying to whale on this thing. If the thing is 216 feet thick, that ain't happening. So again, it's the idea of security. It's the idea of, of, of permanence. You're not, you're, you're, you are safe from any type of physical assault. Mm-hmm. he'd have to be because how is he seeing this thing do you, do you see what I'm saying oh how yeah see this? Uh, so that's kind of a supernatural way of seeing this dwelling because it's not seeing it in real time is that what he well okay so the, so the question is he's got to be in the spirit because how else are you going to be able to comprehend this place you know okay I'm going to go up and knock on the door I'm going to go up and knock on one of the gates okay how much of the city can I see how far can you see I look that way building for as long as I can see it and I look this way it's building for as long as I can see that way there's no appreciation oh yeah and don't even look up actually looking up isn't the problem it's being on top and looking down that might get us all right I have no idea, you know, that's why he had to go to a high, great and high mountain in order to be able to look over and have some appreciation. And, I, and again, I imagine that John isn't looking at this and going, you know what, that goes all the way from the west coast to Houston. He would probably have other landmarks that he would be wanting to associate that with, but the fact of the matter is this place is huge. Okay, all right. Time always runs away so quickly. They walked to Babylon. The exiles did when they were taken into captivity. The walk from Jerusalem to Babylon isn't as wide as one side of this city. It's, it's something on the order of half the distance. And so this is this place is huge. It's huge. The material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold, light clear glass. And by the way, yes, glass existed in the first century. It did. The Romans actually had a special process for making it. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, which, by the way, is asbestos. By the way, do you know what the state rock of California is? Asbestos. That is no joke. It is chrysolite the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. Now, some of those names, when you go through, okay, we recognize an emerald. And we would recognize a uh, sardius, sardis, ruby. We recognize amethyst. Oh, yeah, but some of you have got rubies and amethysts and emeralds. Basically, what it's getting at, you've got Roy G. Biv. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say Roy G. Biv? Those are red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. That's the colors of the spectrum. They're all there. Andrew. Yeah, it reminds me of my lamp. Exactly. That's why I pulled that out. If I still had that lamp, I'd bring it out here and I'd plug it in. <laughs> Pardon me? They, yes, they had electricity when I was a bachelor. I knew Thomas Edison, and he was telling me. <laughs> The emphasis here is on beauty. This place is beautiful. It's colorful. You you can walk around in the morning and take it in. And it never gets old. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. Now, I don't care if we're all dwarfs in heaven. So they have a very small gate because it's a very small doorway. Even that is a huge pearl. Single pearl. And we could go on, by the way, how are pearls created? right we'll leave that for now yeah there's an irritation and then it's covered over and covered over and covered over and covered over I imagine my wife would have a pretty large pearl when it comes to to me being the irritation (laughs) and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass now remember we talked about there's 12 foundation stones There's a 6,000-mile perimeter of this city. 6,000 divided by 12. Them's pretty big stones. Verse 22, I saw no temple in it. John's a Jew. When he's looking at this new city, what do you think the first thing he's looking for is? He's looking for the temple. And he doesn't find one. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. See, again, you had to have the building to protect the people from God. You don't have to have that anymore. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't actually say there's no sun and no moon. He's specific where he says the city doesn't need it. Yet, verse 24, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. Again, because the city is illumined by the glory of God. Does the glory of God ever go out? No. It is perpetually daytime. Alaska on steroids. Because there's no opposite cycle. It's light all the time. This idea about the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Probably the best way to understand that, every nation is represented here, right? Because people from every tribe, every tongue, every people and every nation have been redeemed. And anything that they would have that is worthy of praise is here. They've brought it here. Not because of its glory, but because of their obedience and their submission to the Lamb. Gunnar, is your hand up? So the the comment is, is that the Garden of Eden was closed up because of man's sin, the fall back in Genesis. And uh, God loves gardens and, you know, there's probably, I imagine that there's going to be stuff like that here. Because what are we going to be doing? Are we going to be lounging on clouds with our halo and a harp? I hope it's a harp instead of an accordion. Is that what eternity is going to be like? Yeah, Brian's pointing down because that's where the accordions are. Is that what heaven is like? Perpetual laziness? When God created man, what did he create man to do? Made him to work. Work is not a product of the fall. The sweat part is... The unpleasantness of having to, to toil by the sweat of your brow, that is part of the curse. That's a result of the fall. Can you imagine what it's like to be able to go forever to work and you're whistling while you go because it's contentful, it's satisfying. Forever. Forever. Gates are never closed and they bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You want to talk about border security? Here it is. It's only the redeemed who can go, who can enter. And it's like that forever. There's not even a hint. There's. We we live in a world that has threat levels, right? And you all, you realize that we never live in a world that has a zero threat level. I have no idea what the threat level is right now, but it's not at the minimum. It's not it never is in heaven there's no threat level board because there's never a threat there's never any insecurity there's never a hazard there's no evacuations for the fire that's threatening your home there's no need for security on the streets because there's no danger in the streets when I was a kid I was able to walk to school with no threat at all and it's like that here everywhere because sin can never enter I wanted to do something a little different this morning but I don't have time maybe next week Sam asked a question last week and I vapor-locked on the answer. And I babbled something. And I did you know what, We'll, we'll just take a second. We're gonna set the stage for next week, all right? Because I wanna do this next week. And especially now, we've had a chance to go through this book. And we'll take what we have learned from this book and we're gonna use that to work through another passage in the New Testament. That is not necessarily an easy passage, but now that we've had a chance to go through all of this, that will help us. So flip back in your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. In fact, for next week, you have a homework assignment. Okay? I know, I know. <laughs> Deep sigh up here. Yeah, well, you can do the deep sigh all you want. It's your fault we're doing it. (laughs) Okay, what I would like you to do for this week, I want you to focus your reading on Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31 through the end of the chapter, 31 through 46. That is the sheep and the goats. For the wider context, go back and start at chapter 24, verse 1. And go through the end of chapter 25. Because chapters 24 and 25 are the longest recorded answer that Jesus ever gave to a direct question. Chapters 24 and 25 are about the same thing. And so go through... Because the question had to do with, okay, when is the actual judgment when you talk about um, the sheep and the goats relative to the great white throne? All right? We're going to talk about that next week. And we're actually going to work through that a little bit. How do we deal? How do we take an issue that has spawned all kinds of different ideas as to what that looks like and what that represents? So how do we take that through and how do we work the problem? okay so we're gonna do that next week it's what I should have done last week rather than Haman and hawing. I should have just gone to the text all right and I want to encourage you guys I know that you already do I know that most of you do but let's go we'll go through we'll go to the text and we'll work the issue okay so be very very familiar With the sheep and the goats, but also be familiar with 24 and 25. Okay? All right, let's pray. Actually, before we pray, are there any questions? Okay, this is the only time, frankly, probably in any class that I teach, this is the only time this is ever going to happen. right because it's three minutes to (laughs) ten so I'm going to pray for three minutes (laughs) father what a blessing to be able to to read this passage this chapter to get a glimpse into what it is that you've made that'll be our eternal home our eternal dwelling place. And I find myself being much more uplifted by talking about this, by digging into this chapter than some of the earlier ones that we've done. This is a chapter of great, great blessing for those who are redeemed. It's a chapter of unbearable misery, for those who are not, and yet your holiness and your justice and your wrath are every bit as pure, every bit as lovely as your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your kindness and your love and all the other things that we could go on and on and on about for a whole lot longer than three minutes. Your beauty is incredible the concept of us being able to be in your presence forever is overwhelming we come here today to to give you worship and praise because you're worthy of it and yet even that has to be filtered through our sin and our sinfulness our sins are forgiven You've separated from them from us as far as the east is from the west, and yet we still have the sin hangover. We still fight against our flesh. That's a moment-by-moment that's a moment battle. How we long for the day where that will be gone forever and we'll be able to offer you the, the praise from our lips that'll be pure as it ought to be. We will experience you in a way that we've never known. And as the song says, even 10,000 years from now, we won't have even begun to plumb the depths of your character. And so we worship you today. We recognize how small we are and how big you are. And we acknowledge that you are master over all. That you're master over everything. You are the one who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of your will. And everything falls under that. In all the circumstances of our lives we see your hand at work Father help us to come to the point where we see that more quickly that we would not chafe that we would not be so quick to go counter to how you would have us to respond Father help us to to be so consumed with you and with the knowledge of your sovereignty that our first reaction would be when we encounter difficulty when we encounter trouble any type of resistance that we would know that that is from your hand and that regardless of what it is you also give us the grace because your grace is sufficient Father, thank you that today we, we, can't, we don't need to look for how we can just scrape by. We can rejoice because you give us the ability to be an overwhelmingly conqueror through him who loved us. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you humbled yourself as, as we've been studying in Philippians. You became like us You lived as us, you fulfilled God's law in every point. You suffered every temptation that we do yet without sin. You're able to come to our aid because you know, not just because you know everything because you've experienced it. You know how to care for those who are in temptation. And Lord Jesus, we are grateful to you that you are the example of humility, but also of endurance, of faithfulness, of truthfulness. Lord Jesus, help us to model you in that way. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us into all truth, to help us to know how to act in such a way that that we are responding in a godly fashion. And Father, we're grateful to you because you conceived all of these things. This is all your plan. Nothing's out of order. There's no rogue molecules. There's no, there's nothing that's off the rails. And so we worship you this morning, the triune God. We love you. We're thankful. We're grateful. Help us to demonstrate our gratitude in devotion and obedience. Help us to worship you aright this morning. In Christ's name, amen.